What do you get when you mix an American Idol and Rock of Ages star with the best off-Broadway musical to come around in a long time? Buckle on up as you are about to find out. Welcome to the Motivation Show podcast and get ready to be inspired, motivated, and achieve massive success. And now, your host, the mayor of motivation, Eli Marcus. Our guest on the Motivation Show today hit it big and became a household name during the heyday of American Idol. He is best known for his iconic star turn in Broadway's Rock of Ages, which I saw a few times, for which he received a Best Actor Tony Award nomination. His stage acting work also includes Jekyll and Hyde, The Wedding Singer, Rent, Jesus Christ Superstore, Evita, The Toxic Avenger, and now he stars in the lead role of the off-Broadway blockbuster musical sensation Rock and Roll Man, which I also <laughs> saw twice. Welcome to the Motivation Show, Constantine Maroulis. Thank you. Whoa, what an intro. That's I probably could have gone out a little to. longer, even. <laughs> <laughs> the master of disaster, the king of sting. Thank you. Really great to be here. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I did see you back in those uh, glory days on American Idol. And so my first thought is, uh, what was it like growing up? And did you always know you had singing and acting chops? And did you always want to be a star? Well, no, I, I never really thought about being a star. I was lucky enough to have an older brother and sister, much older than me, that were talented. Uh, my brother, very talented, very prolific, Ethan Maroulis, always taught me to be more of an independent artist, you know, a briefcase and a microphone. That was always sort of my motto, but definitely was someone with, with, a, with a large instrument early on. Uh, took me a long time to sort of find it and develop it, but it was always there. I knew early on I could belt high notes and all of that. And I think some teachers caught on quick, but I had a lot of stage fright early on. I was nervous. You know, I played sports. You I was, had stage yeah. fright? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was always nervous. You know, I was. I grew up in the, the suburbs of North Jersey. We were from the city originally, born in Brooklyn, but I grew up out in New Jersey. And it was just typical suburban life playing sports, playing Army, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, and all of that. But I had this instrument that I was afraid to let my friends sort of know about, if you know what I mean. I didn't want them to make fun of me and all of that. So until much later on, when girls started paying attention to me singing songs and such, that, that, that helps the confidence a little bit. But yeah, you know, I uh, grew up listening to my brother and sister's records from uh, the new wave era of the early 80s and uh, certainly the classic rock of the 70s and the sort of underground of uh, David Bowie and whatnot. And I grew up in the MTV era of the 80s, so I always loved pop music and, and hard rock, but I had this affinity for musical theater as well. You know, I always grew up uh, listening to show tunes. We would watch movie musicals as kids and such. So it always spoke to me, for sure. So, Constantine, uh, how do you actually get on American Idol? And did you have a vision that you would be 
taken the country by storm with breathtaking performances on the show and emerging out of anonymity to be an instant star? Sure. I think we have to have a vision. I was older than some of the other contestants. I had worked my way really there. It felt like a like a progression. It felt like part of the arc because I didn't run away to college right out of high school. I stayed locally. I played in bands. I worked a job. I auditioned for shows. I was hustling and I was always a hustler. I went to school part-time at a local New Jersey school studying music and some theater. And then after booking a few jobs, did I end up in Boston at the Boston Conservatory, Berklee College of Music, you know, in my early 20s. I did that in maybe a three-year period. I did have a plan. I had a plan. I said I was going to go up there. I was in a showcase. I was going to each summer do cool theater, professional work around New England, from Seacoast Repertory Theater to maybe the Huntington Stage Company, um, you know, to... Uh, you know, Boston theater works and, and, and all of this cool stuff that was around the Worcester stage company. That was Israel Horvitz's, uh, spot up in, um, on the, you know, up in Worcester, not Worcester. Um, that's in, um, Oh geez, I'm spacing all the names of these places, but, um, what's the fishing town where the movie that, uh, the perfect storm was set in. Oh, they'll hate me for this, but I can't remember. <laughs> but one of those, you know, so much great professional theater throughout Boston. And and I really hustled. I really hustled. And I, I wanted to be an apprentice at the Williamstown Theater Festival. I achieved that. I didn't showcase because September of my final two semesters there, I lost my my first cousin, Constantine, in uh, in the World Trade Center in, in 9-11. So wow. just ch- just changed the course of my um, my life drastically. And how did that change your life? Well, I just questioned everything. I was like, what am I doing? I'm studying acting and voice and stuff. None of this matters, you know, in the scheme of things, you know, the sky is falling and we've lost a part of our our family. My grandparents came here with a dream and, you know, all of these things. Right. So, um, but then you soon realize this is my gift. This is what I do. This is how I can pay tribute to my family and to him. And his memory is to help elevate other people that need an escape. And uh, so I ended up at Williamstown that summer. It was a big deal for me. I worked with the best in the world. I mean, apprentices around me included Chris Pine, movie star, Liz Merriweather, gigantic Hollywood writer, you know, Matt Long, manifest star. We were all like dorming together and hanging out. Michael Arden, huge director now. Jeremy Strong from Succession. Uh, and then we met, you know, Christopher Reeve and all these great directors and Paul Newman and Sigourney Weaver, like just everybody I, I met there. And just that was like the cap of my training, like, whoa this is it. This is what I need. This is what I want. I love being a part of all of this. Is that intimidating and, or is it only inspiring to you or both? <laughs> I think both. Um, but you know, you, you can't, you can't be intimidated. You can't let that overcome you. It's good to be sort of like, you know, nervous and, and, and eager, but Oh, Chris, Chris Fitzpatrick, um, and his wife, Jessica, who just, won a Tony for uh, the best musical. Uh, she directed Kimberly Akimbo and just like everybody was there. It was nuts. I met Michael Greif, great director. I booked Rent. That was sort of part of my vision and my plan too. I wanted to be in Rent. I wanted to have my band. I wanted to get an agent. So I did Rent on tour for a couple of years. And that 
I had my band out there, whatnot. We went to Japan. We went all over the States. And that sort of led me into the American Idol experience. I'd never seen the show. I was at Boston Conservatory. I was on the road. I heard about it the first few seasons, um, but I just needed a job. So I went and, um, you know, rent was not bringing me back, which is my first bit of sort of adversity um, I had faced in my early career at like, you know, 25 or six at this point. And, you know, maybe maybe even a little later, maybe 26, 27 was when I toured with that because I, um, I was a young sort of mid-20s guy in a way, even though I grew up in Jersey and New York and all. But um, then the idol thing, yeah, definitely game changer. Just right place, right time. They had bumped the age up. I had a lot of experience. I was just coming off rent. I had a story. I had a band. And it was still early on. It was only season four. And Carrie Underwood, she was destined to win. But I was like, I have to go as far as I can to sort of create like a brand for myself. And then try to parlay that into the next chunk, the next five years, the next 10 years. I always sort of thought in those kinds of uh, concepts, you know. Well, being uh, in the same show as Carrie Underwood is almost a little unfair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's like, if you could script it, that would be the one, right? You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. How the is name it like? and everything. Yeah, she's perfect. Yeah, she is, right? How is it like... Uh, Dealing with the infamous uh, Simon Cowell, this <laughs> trepidation, fear, uh, how did that all turn out? That was real cool for me. I, I, I loved Simon, and I remember meeting them the first time. It was quite surreal, because you go through this process, this sort of like mostly off-camera, you know, there's this kind of cattle call back in the day, 30,000 people show up to a city. They break it down to like 500 quickly and then that 500 gets broken down to like maybe 50 and then that like 50 get to finally go in front of the judges on tv cameras right and when i walk, went in there they they just looked like kind of claymation versions of themselves that you know the tv lights and so it was surreal but i had dealt with being a conservatory kid growing up in the theater i dealt with a lot of sort of tough brits along the way i had a teacher at the conservatory, Steve McConnell, who was a tough bastard. And um, he would break me down and build me back up again. And I, I loved him for it. I learned a lot from him. I had um, teachers there, Annie Thompson. She was a special sort of kind of <laughs> demon. Um, and, <laughs> you know, so I, 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 I knew how to handle that kind of other, others would wilt from that, right? Other others couldn't take the uh, the criticism, but you grew from it. You understood that it was in your best interest, yes, and that's sir. why you yeah. thrive. And and you know, yeah, you, it, that takes a, a certain experience. You know, being someone that's on the road, confident in yourself. You know, being affable, affable, but also you know a little cocky. Like, okay, you know, I I've gotten this far, but thank you. I'll I'll use that as a you know hopefully productive feedback um, for next week, you know. So, you know, what was refreshing about something you said earlier, you know, you talked about, you know, having a little bit of jitters and that's showing you're a pretty real person. I mean, I sometimes wonder how people get on stage and get in front of millions of people. You got to have kind of ice on your veins. So um, how is it like, you know, getting on stage, Constantine, and performing in front of tens of millions on TV versus mm -hmm. a more intimate audience of of what you're doing right now, which is like sure. a few hundred people on a stage. Do you, do you get nervous on TV or stage now? Yeah, I've always been comfortable 
up there. I've always been comfortable on the microphone. It's like I love using a, a tall, straight stand. Uh, it feels like something I can kind of grab onto, hide behind, but use. It's my friend. It's my crutch. It's my sort of um, prop. So that's always been easy for me. And I had a great director on the show who we lost um, not long ago, Bruce Gowers, an amazing uh, television uh, director. Uh, he was an older cat even then. He directed the original Bohemian Rhapsody video for Queen um, with all the, you know, it was quite innovative at the time in the 70s with all the faces and such. And uh, I remember him saying something like, mate, you have to look right into that camera and stare at those girls at home because <laughs> that's your audience, you know? <laughs> Don't worry about the millions and millions of people. Just worry about that one girl at mm, home and make like that it. one. So that was really helpful. So then I developed this kind of like uh, smolder, as Simon called it. So that was <laughs> helpful. And, you know, but the mixed focus, I worked on mixed focus at, Bo at Boston Conservatory. Like when you're acting a song and you sort of create this like landscape of, of imagery, right? But and your eye lines, but then there's those times where you can like bring it into the audience too, and like they can be a part of your your focus. So it's like you're talking to them, but it also can kind of go up into the landscape, and you know, then it can be internal as well, right? So you have those like three things, and I've developed a technique like that that I use with kids based on imaging and such so, and geography of thought. I know that's like weird, but it's it's all just tools, man. It's just tools in your belt. So, so then I'm here on stage. So I have the camera, but then I have the, the in-studio audience too. And then I have those internal moments and then I have the judges to sort of bring them in. So you have like, it's acting, it's just acting, you know, it's just essentially acting on camera. So, um, I think also um, when you're connected to material and the one thing I, I, I think I tried to do on the show, although then it was really hard to clear songs it was a different time you know people were skeptical like i couldn't just go up there and sing a bon jovi song because he's like i don't know about this show but then i did bohemian rhapsody and their original record shot up the charts again and the digital spike was insane etc cetera, etc cetera. and then people were like oh shit so if they're good it spikes. If they're bad, it still spikes. It doesn't matter. This is great. Take my song. You know, so it was just early on, it was hard. They, you know, they hadn't figured out like, you know, do we have to pay the art? You know, like, so it was expensive to get songs. You know, I remember Aerosmith only allowed like a one-time usage of my, my audition song, which I thought was a bummer because I wanted to revisit it on the show in its, in, in its entirety. So, you know, when you're connected to the lyric, I think that that, really helps you overcome any nerves. But if you're aware, that's when you're nervous, you know. Like opening night of our show, I was a little aware because it's all your friends and it's all people you know and it's not, the the, the reviews are already in pretty much, right? They're going to come out that night, maybe stagger out the next few days. But that night, it's like, you're a little aware. It's hard to just be in it. So it even happens to me still. So, you know, I wasn't nervous, but I was just a little aware which I don't like to be. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I'm just a poor boy from a poor <laughs> family. I, you know, I just can't get that song out of my head. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, it's the best. Absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, I remember them thinking I was crazy for uh, for wanting to do that song, but I had this great edit of a you know two and a half minute version of it, and they were like, "Wow, this kind of works." 
And it's one of those songs that like every 10 or 15 or 20 years kind of has like a big resurgence, right? Exactly. I think, you know, I was introduced to it during Wayne's World in the 90s. And uh, that was, uh, and then people kind of probably got reintroduced to it by maybe me on American Idol. So that was cool. Absolutely. So you are in this really great new musical rock and roll man. Yeah, man. Celebrates the life of the trailblazing DJ Alan Freed, who was actually credited with coining the uh, term rock and roll. And Alan Freed, you know, is probably not as well known. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, to people under the age of 60, as he probably should be. But this show, you know, seems to give him his due about, uh, you know, take, you know, it's, it's really, you know, is doing the place in rock and roll history. Uh, but it's also true to life. You know, it's warts and all. It talks about his uh, alcoholism. What made you excited about taking on this iconic but challenging role and being the first person to ever portray Alan Freed in an entire show? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, any opportunity to create an, a new role is, is is something that will pique your interest as an actor. It's easy to go into a long running show and whatnot. And I had been doing, you know, a bit more focus on my music um, in recent time and some film and TV stuff. And, you know, this just spoke to me. He's a disruptor. And I think even as an actor, just to to be able to sort of portray someone that the stakes are so high. He lays it all on the line for the art, for the artistry, for the artists, for his family as well. And that I can relate to. Um, he paid the ultimate price. I mean, basically drank himself to death from the, you know, the, the weight of what he was doing. And he didn't play ball with the powers that be. And, you know, it, it killed him. It killed him. But it's interesting because, uh, yeah, because he's not as well known in the way we know, like the great, you know, TV pundits and hosts and broadcasters uh, like Dick Clark and later with, you know, the, all the late night guys and uh, amazing um you know, game show hosts and such that are just so synonymous with a certain like genre. I mean, even geez, uh, my friends are working on a uh, sol uh, uh, solid gold. Is it? Uh, they're working on a Don Don Cornelius. What was that? That was uh, was that solid gold? Hmm. The Soul Train remember. was it? Soul Train. Soul Train. <laughs> yeah. Soul Train. So, like, you know, I mean, you know, I just think that, like, for us, we have some license to play. We've worked with the family. There's obviously a very detailed, lengthy, long, dark story that we can't tell everything. You know, we're still, it's still showbiz. We need to do, like, a two-hour, you know, musical, right? But to be able to touch upon those highs and lows is 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 was something that jumped out at me and and the chance to work with a creative team that was interested in really collaboration and you know i've been there from the very beginning um over the last couple of years developing this in the room and at the table and you know cuts and ads and ad libs that make the show and you know i still think that it's a it's a it's a, a growing piece for sure so now i i had the pleasure of actually going to New World Stages and seeing the show twice. I liked it that much. I had oh. to go back. And what I see and what I did is I gave it a standing ovation like everybody else. I was dancing in the aisles. <laughs> it's a feel-good show. So, Constantine, what do you hope 
audiences feel and hope that they learn and take away from the show? For me, uh, that's wonderful. We love the feel-good vibes. We love the music. We love celebrating this incredible era of songwriting and of music and artistry. There's just something about the 50s when it comes on the radio. You're just like, I mean, there's just such a style to it and such a exuberance, right? Because I think, you know, it was marketed towards like teens, you know, originally. So it's just got this like bop to it that's just great. And all these sort of subliminal messages, right, in its simplicity that are just pure and just great. And the singing is unbelievable. The records sound so good, right? Like the, the, it's, it's the minimalist kind of uh, production that, that just jumps out at me. So that's all wonderful. But I think also it's an important piece in that not even a lifetime ago, my mother, her sisters, they were seeing Alan Freed shows. It was the first time they were probably in social settings with people of color. Not even a lifetime ago. It reminds us also of a bit of the ugliness that we've gone through in this in this country just in the last half century plus. And, you know, a guy that wouldn't stand for it. You know, this post-World War II era, he was, you know, he had to sort of hide the fact that he was Jewish and he couldn't be also, he couldn't be Jewish and also try to promote black people, right? That was just unacceptable to Double so many two people. two strikes, right? From right. That so, <laughs> so, so it was just, you know, it, it, it makes for a really cool setting for our show and some great, great storytelling. We get to take you on a fun musical ride um, with you know, sexy performers and dance and such, but we also get to remind you of the um, the cruelness that exists out there as well. Yeah, you know, the, the show made me feel like I wanted to be in the 50s, and uh, I wanted <laughs> to be at the Brooklyn Paramount and see a live Alan Freed show, and like, oh my God, because, you know, you feature these rock and roll classics created by all these legends, you know, Little Richard and Chuck Berry and Laverne Baker and uh, Buddy Holly and uh, and uh, Jerry Lee Lewis with his uh, incredible keyboards. And so, and you he's know, those- really playing too, Don- Dominique uh, Smith. He's in, and we're, what a great find. He actually went on to replace me in Rock of Ages many years ago on tour as my part. And uh, he had like the long hair and everything. He's a really talented guy and he plays the hell out of that piano. And oh, Buddy does. Holly is playing guitar. Like yep. everyone's doing the thing for yep. sure. And, and I started I started Rock of Ages at New World Stage. Oh, that's 15, right. I, I 15, saw that. <laughs> 15 summers ago. So uh, and then it became a gigantic brand all over the world. So if we can achieve a fraction of that, I think we'd be pretty psyched. So, you know, you sing uh, original songs, you know, which I think require, you know, a lot of heavy lifting and there's kind of like no one to emulate or model after. So tell us about the creative process in uh, perfecting brand new songs that no one ever did prior. Yeah, Gary's done a great job. I mean, he played with a lot of these cats. He played with Chuck Berry. So he's written some songs that help tell the story and kind of allow Alan to live in the bubble with the artists, right? So the concept being like, if I was singing, you know, a majority of the catalog songs, that might sort of take the audience out. But allowing me to have songs like Playing Music and Destiny and King of the World allows me to kind of weave in and out of the, um, the, the iconic stars and rock stars of the, of the time. 
So it's been good. I think he's really done a great job of writing within the genre, but allowing it to help further the story. So that's been a lot of fun. I think uh, it's still a process. Like if we're lucky enough to transfer this show, I think Alan might need a uh, another song or two (laughs) so and as a songwriter you know i definitely appreciate it i I have a new song out that's called daydream and it just came out uh last week so uh it's been streaming you know worldwide and uh getting added to some great playlists which is awesome and you can find that anywhere spotify apple music you know anywhere you stream uh new music constantine maroulis daydream and uh, the plan is to put out a new song every uh, every month or so. Um, my next one will come out in a few more weeks. And uh, just through the end of the year, just keep putting out new tunes as well um, to couple with the show running. And we've just extended um, well into the fall as well with Rock and Roll Man. So we hope to see everyone at the show. Well, I'm going to be back a third time and maybe a fourth <laughs> time, I can tell you that. But I have one closing question for you, Constantine. Sure. And, you know, what I want to do is pick your brains a little bit here. I want to know what the secret's to your success you feel have been and what would you advise other actors or just other people in general in business you know that want to follow in your footsteps yeah well thank you you know i again i've i've been lucky enough to have some incredible mentors in my life you know both my brother and sister have been wonderful and supportive to me i had great parents we lost my father 10 years ago my mother's still hanging in there um i've always had great family and support great teachers along the way and some shitty ones as well excuse my french um but you know you, you it's important to to take what we what we sort of absorb from great teachers along the way and mentors and try to apply you know i love growing up in the theater i love music it's not for everyone what i do teach when i do classes and stuff uh, with young young hopefuls and performers it's we've gotten very uh, we've gotten very sort of obsessed with like getting famous and I think that's sort of the American idolization of things. Um, and certainly with social media and TikTok and such, let's let's try to put that all aside. And that's great. If you can get viral and you can get famous and get views and likes, if that's what you're into, cool. But let's get better today. Every day, just get like 1% better at what we do, whether it's, you know, with fitness, the mind, the body, the, the soul, and uh, or with our, our art you know, and, and listen, you never know who's going to be around you. You know, your classmates at, you know, in high school or college, one of them might end up being someone that could get you a great gig one day. So, you know, I've always hustled and worked hard and networked well. That's not for everybody. People don't know how to do that, but it's, you know, you need life experience to be a, a good performer. You know, you just can't go up there when you've been pampered your whole life. I mean, it's rare those that people can really thrive doing that. But don't worry about getting famous. Just get better. <laughs> I liked, well, I like the two things that you said, you know, uh, the 1%, just, you know, because don't don't overwhelm yourself with thinking, right. you know, oh, got to be an overnight sensation. You got to have this right. great secret to success where you got to succeed in a week. Just get 1% better. Um, and the other thing you talked about was networking. Uh, mm. you, now, I got to thank you for coming on the show. But I'll tell you why, in particular you, because you got eight performances a week, and that is not easy. You don't have a lot of downtime, yet you took the half hour here today to get on the show. And that tells me a lot about you as a person, about you know your philosophy of networking, your philosophy of success. So I want to thank you, Constantine, for coming on the show. And I want to let all of my listeners know 
that I have seen about 400 shows. I've seen this one <laughs> twice. I'll be seeing it a couple of more times. You've got to get out and get tickets to the show. Thanks, Constantine. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope to see you again this summer. And God bless, man. Thank you. God bless you. If you would like to inquire about having Eli motivate your team, speak at your event, or coach you personally for massive success, email themotivationshow at gmail.com. That's themotivationshow at gmail.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.